to Girl Gotta Hike the Podcast, Episode 4. I'm your host, Melissa Goodwin, outdoor guide, photographer, and founder of Girl Gotta Hike. This podcast features interviews with adventurous women, plus trail tips and hiking advice for those who want to disconnect from the daily grind. On today's episode, I talk with Christy Holmes, a registered hunting and fishing guide in the great state of Maine. She's the founder of Maine Women Hunters Facebook community and writer and contributor to publications such as the Maine Sportsman and Modern Huntsman magazines. She's also a fellow Appalachian Trail thru-hiker. I caught up with Christy at her home outside of Portland earlier this year on my way back to Brooklyn after re-hiking the northernmost stretch of the AT, the 100-mile wilderness, and summiting Mount Katahdin with my good friends Sprout and Harvest, whom you may recall from episode one. Sprout, aka Emma and I, sat down with Christy after enjoying a huge meal of lobsters, oysters, and delicious Maine craft beer. We chatted about hiking, fishing, hunting, growing up in Maine, Christy's dog Argos, and most importantly, encouraging other women to get outside and explore. Just want to give you listeners a heads up that there are moments when we talk openly about the process of tracking and hunting animals, the details of which may not be suitable for everyone. Stay tuned after the episode to learn more info about Girl Gotta Hike. Welcome, everybody, to the Girl Gotta Hike podcast. This is Melissa Click Goodwin. I'm here in the lovely state of Maine with a good trail friend of mine. Hi, I'm Christy Diva Holmes. And my good buddy, Emma Sprout Heilman. So the three of us all hiked the Appalachian Trail together in 2011, and we knew each other at different points along the way. And so Emma and I were doing some hiking here in Maine, and we came to visit Christy and to find out a little bit about Maine life and about being an outdoors woman. So Christy, tell me a little bit about what you do here in the outdoors. Well, my full-time job, my nine-to-fiver, I'm a civil engineer, and I also do some guiding. I'm a registered Maine guide in hunting and fishing, and I focus mostly on women, and I'm the founder of a group called Maine Women Hunters. We're a community, and we just like encourage each other to get out and go hunting. I write a monthly column called Maine Sportswoman in a magazine here in Maine called The Maine Sportsman. <laughs> Maine Sportswoman in yeah. Maine Sportsman. I'm the only female columnist except for the recipe woman. No offense to her, but... It's time to break those boundaries yes. of just cooking. Yes. And they pretty much let me write about whatever I want. So I've written about hiking the AT, and then I wrote about like tuna fishing and turkey hunting and i might do one about like how to taxidermy a bear skull or something i don't know i've got all these ideas like there's so the options are endless and then i volunteer with casting for recovery which is a group of women breast cancer survivors or women that currently have breast cancer because the fly fishing like motion is good physical therapy. So we teach them how to cast, how to fly fish, and then we take them fly fishing. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Maine. Were you always um, into the outdoors? I grew up in a pretty small town in Maine, pretty rural, about 2,000 people. So my high school class was like 32. There really wasn't much to do other than sports and go outside. My parents always liked going hiking into national parks, so they really encouraged me to be outside. I think growing up anywhere where you spend a lot of time outdoors, you learn a lot about yourself, about 
you know, work ethic and it makes you appreciate, you know, everything in life and makes you appreciate living in Maine, I guess. What was the first national park you went to? Was it in Maine? Acadia, yeah. I remember we were doing some hikes to practice for our trip. We were heading out to Glacier National Park and my dad had been there before. He used to work there when he was in college and he was like, we need to do these hikes and get ready to go out west. So your dad worked at Glacier National Park? And you did a lot of hiking. I've been back to so. Glacier five times and it's like one of my favorite places. It's so beautiful. My favorite hike is probably Iceberg Lake. Last time we went out there, I swam out and got on one of the icebergs. Whoa. Like, not to be one-upped by his little sister. My brother had to follow up. And then my mom was like, well, when else am I going to do it? So she went out and <laughs> did it too. So before the trail... What were you doing? Were you in college? Yep. I had graduated from the University of Maine with a degree in civil engineering. And then I took a year off because I had torn my ACL and had surgery. And then I hiked the AT. And Sprout, you were freshly out of college too. Is that right? Yeah. I actually graduated a semester early because I knew I wanted to hike the AT. I knew I had enough credits and I just like piled them on my last semester. And I graduated in December of 2010, spent a few months sort of gathering everything in my parents' place and then headed off. Did you always know you wanted to hike the AT? No, but growing up in Maine, I know about the AT and I'd climbed Katahdin before and then wasn't ready to enter the real world after college. So I was toying around with the idea and my parents were pretty like nervous about it, but they were supportive. And how did you get into hunting? Is that something you did when you were growing up as well? Yeah, I did not. When I finished the AT, I kind of needed a break from hiking. It was also the time in my life where I was really thinking about where food comes from, how it's sourced, and I, you know, love being outside. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll get in this hunting thing. I did a dog breed selector quiz on Animal Planet, which is really fun. You guys should check it out. You answer like 10 questions and it spits out your dog breed and it said I should get a Britney Spaniel and they're they're a hunting breed so I was like oh well he really likes birds so you know I'll take him out bird hunting and we'll learn together but he was much quicker learner than me what does it take to become a bird hunter it's a lot easier with a dog my dog Argos he'll find the birds and point them and then the birds defense is like don't move like I haven't been spotted don't move and then as a hunter you're like oh my dog's on point like better get ready and then hopefully the bird flushes it flies and you can get a shot off. so it's really a partnership between you and yeah it's teamwork when you're learning how to hunt for birds you and your dog do you go through a training course you take your hunter's education and get your hunter safety card so you can get a hunting license and then I just trained Argos myself. Emma did you ever do any hunting growing up because you grew up in rural areas. Yeah I was in rural Virginia. No I didn't grow up hunting at all but we had enough land that we had our neighbors who would hunt deer on our property and we would get the benefit of (laughs) um, of the hunt so we always had venison in our freezer. Well, I know nothing about hunting. I I do appreciate knowing where my food comes from. I think it is a really important thing. And and that's interesting that that's the way that you came about hunting. And how did going and, and learning how to hunt birds turn into guiding? 
you know, it was kind of a struggle for me at first to be successful at hunting. Like you can go out hunting and, you know, most of the time not bring anything home. And because, you know, my dad didn't hunt, my boyfriend at the time didn't hunt. So it was just like me trying to figure it out. And, and that was very humbling. Eventually, I became a hunter's safety instructor, and I think it's pretty powerful to show people that they can do whatever they want. It's hard to see yourself doing something if you've never seen someone that looks like you doing something. So like when I took hunter safety, I was the only woman. All the teachers were men. Everyone in the class was a man. So I felt like we can kind of make it more normal to see women in these roles. It will encourage more women to do it. So tell me a little bit about fishing. Is that something you grew up doing? Um, or no, is that kind of came along with the hunting? Yeah, I guess. I was always interested in it, but didn't have anyone to like teach me or take me. And then after college, I went up to Alaska on vacation. I had a friend who lived there and we went salmon fishing and it was pretty cool. And then I dated this guy and he got me into fly fishing. And then we broke up and then I was like, well, now what am I supposed to do? I have all this fly fishing stuff. So there's a group here in Portland that's um, Maine women fly fishers. So I started going to their meetups. So I made some friends there. Now I'm like pretty okay at fly fishing. And then I ice fish a lot in the winter because there's nothing else to do in Maine. (laughs) (laughs) And then this, this summer I've been striper fishing and bluefin tuna fishing. Just like the show, Wicked Tuna, yeah. (laughs) So you started Maine women's hunting? And that's kind of how I got the idea. I was like, this is such a great group, a great community of women fishing, but you know, hunting is a little, it's like more controversial. So it's like... You almost like need it more. I started Maine Women Hunters and it's it's only women. I, I don't let men in because there's other Maine hunting pages. And, you know, sometimes people will ask a question because they're a beginner and then people can be really rude on there. And I've been like blown away by how nice everyone is. Like, like not a single bad comment. And it's just like a supportive place where women can post things like, hey, has anyone hunted while they're pregnant before? Uh, What do you guys do when you're on your period? Or they post like, I missed a deer tonight and I feel really bad. You know, can you guys like give me any advice? Like things that I think they wouldn't feel comfortable posting somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now are there a lot of members? Do you yep, have we have over, over 1,500. Wow. Nice. Yeah. How old is the group? I think it's like less than two years old. And that's over than 10% of the licensed female hunters in Maine. So pretty good. Wow. That's awesome. So I grew up in the suburbs and then I moved to New York City. So <laughs> hunting and all of this is uh, not something family ever did. It's, a, it's definitely like a different way to experience the outdoors and I see things differently now you Mm -hmm. know like I can't like go for a normal hike without like looking for deer antlers like you know I'm looking down I'm looking for sign and I don't know you learn more about the animals and like nature you spend more way more time outside I joke that like if I didn't hunt and fish I'd like never see the sunrise like (laughs) I wake up early to hunt fish and that's it like not gonna watch the sunrise if I didn't do those things so do you go hiking much anymore yeah, I mean, scouting is, like, my hiking oh, now, but Portland's not, like, super close to any, like, good mountains. It's, like, two hours to the White Mountains, but I, I'll still make it out there, mostly for day hikes, and then up to Katahdin, and I'm going to Acadia next weekend. It's nice to have so much access. Yeah, there's a lot to do. Sometimes it's hard to choose. 
like I want to go hiking, but it's also fishing season. So it's like. So you said hunting is very humbling. Describe like what goes into planning a hunt. Like what does the day look like? You got to get up really early. So I started out turkey hunting. I, I definitely think turkey hunting is like a good way for any new person looking to get into hunting. Um, it's not too cold out when you do it. You get to wear camo instead of orange, which is cooler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so first, you know, you have to tr- try to find the turkeys which they like to hang out in fields so a lot of times you'll see them they like to sleep in the same trees every night or the same area it's a little easier than like deer hunting you don't have to worry about your scent like with deer hunting you have to wash all your clothes and scent free stuff i have to take a shower and scent free stuff you know you're entering their environment they spend all day every day trying not to get killed and you have to go into their bedroom and try to outsmart them so it's it's pretty hard but turkey hunting's fun. You can go with another person. You can whisper. Deer hunting's pretty strict if you want to be successful. So turkey hunting, I usually scout out a few places and then get permission. And then I'll either bring a blind with me or just sit there. But in Maine, it's in May. So you're pretty much waking up at like 3.30 in the morning and driving to your spot because you want to be set up near the tree the turkey's sleeping in. And you put out some decoys, and then you sit and wait. What's the decoy look like? It just looks like a decoy, another, turkey. another turkey. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people use the boy Tom turkeys to, okay. like, get the guy turkey riled up and, like, jealous. Oh. Mm-hmm. I usually just use, like, a hen. Mm-hmm. And then once the turkeys fly down from the roost in the morning, I'll do a little hen call. And then hopefully one of them comes over to my decoy looking to get lucky. <laughs> And most of hunting seasons, for pretty much most species, they line up with their the season that they're mating. Oh. So they get a little stupider. <laughs> and they're much more active. So, like, you don't see bucks running around during the day except during the rut when they're mating. And turkeys roost. I guess yeah. I've never even thought of that. I've never seen a turkey in a tree. Yep, I've seen them walking across the road at night. It makes sense. I didn't realize they flew. Well, no, I've <laughs> seen them. In the- What's really cool about a turkey during May in their mating season is if they're up in a tree or if they're down, but they will gobble to anything. Like if you slam your car door, one will gobble. <laughs> if you sneeze, one will gobble. <laughs> if a crow calls, one will gobble. Like it's kind of hilarious. You can play a game. Like any loud noise, <laughs> he's like, no, I'm louder than you. That's like what he's saying. So, it's so next time you see to outdo one, the, yeah, exactly. the, all the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's in May. So what are some other seasons? When is deer season? And do seasons overlap? Yes. Most of the seasons are in the fall. Deer season with a bow and arrow starts in September here in Maine. Upland bird season starts in October here in Maine. And there's also bear season that starts in the end of August, like Labor Day weekend. Oh, and there's duck season that starts in September, October. How long are the seasons? They're fairly short. So deer in Maine, we can't hunt on Sundays. And my understanding is that the state has a quota, like this is the maximum number of deer we want shot. 
So in Maine, it's pretty long. They have a month of bow and arrow season, and then they have a month of rifle season, and then they have two weeks of black powder, like a muzzleloader gun, like those old-fashioned old ones. Fashion. Yeah, cool. but they have they have like newer-looking ones now. Okay. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's pretty long overall. Whereas yeah. other states where you can hunt on Sundays, and maybe there's more hunters in other states or less deer, they have a shorter season. Do you think that's just because Maine is? rural and there's so much land i think it must have to do with just the deer population population. here and the number of hunters and how successful the hunters are so does the quota change year to year depending on what the population is every hunter in maine can shoot one antlered deer and then if you have a bow and arrow and you're in a certain zone, then you can shoot more. So becoming a guide when it's that season, you're very on top of, you're dialed into where you can go. I was out scouting today, putting out game cameras. Tell me a little bit about that process. How do you know where the deer are going to be? Well, whenever I'm driving, I pay attention if I see a deer. Also, I'll look at satellite like Google Earth and Topo and I'll be like, oh, deer are like edge creatures. So they like the edges of fields and they like the edges of of houses and towns and and then obviously food if you can find apple trees or white oaks and then some water and even in the smallest patch of woods there's probably some deer in there and then i go out and i look for sign tracks rubs or scrapes which is like when a buck is in rut he's he's leaving his calling card and he's like hey ladies like here's my number and then he'll go back and check those and see if another a doe has like peed in them wait so tell me what rut is well rut is when they're mating and he just is running running around looking for females in heat. And he's Mm -hmm. like checking them all. Are you in heat? Are you in heat? Are you in heat? And then a rub is is when they rub their antlers on a, a little tree, like leaving their mark. And then a scrape is when they paw at the ground and then they pee in it. And that so. leaves their scent, that leaves their yes. pheromones, all that. So you look for all those all those different things. And then I put out a camera and then I come back in a couple weeks and track it. That's interesting. It's like traditional looking for tracks and high tech yeah. With the cameras. Yeah. And it's a long process. It's not like yeah. you just grab a gun and you go out and hunt a deer. Right. Well, if, if you get <laughs> I mean, lucky, you can. You can. But, but there's more to in it. Maine, it's kind of hard. We have a lot of thick woods. We don't We don't have like a ton of big farms. You said they like to live on the edges, but if there aren't a lot of open farm, so that's harder to find. Right. Like you'll just be in thick woods in a tree stand, like hoping, but you can't see that far. So, so when you hunt a deer, when you get one, what happens then? I don't know. I've never shot in here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Quick editor's note. In the fall of 2019, Christy did indeed harvest her first deer. She wrote a very heartfelt piece about it on her Instagram feed. So go check it out at Christy Holmes. And now back to the interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. When you hunt a turkey, describe a little bit about, okay, you've looked for the signs yep. and you've seen where they go and you get out there and... Like, what is it like? Or or what's the first thing that you shot? Um, First thing I harvested was a turkey. And it was pretty exciting because turkeys are really exciting. You see them across the field and like you do a call and they gobble back at you. And they're like fanning their fan open and strutting around the field. (laughs) It's it's like pretty exciting. Yeah. And you're like, come over a little closer. And you just do your like, I'm over here. Like, keep, 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 keep. 
And and then they'll start slowly, like it feels so slow. It feels like slow motion. They start like walking over to you, but then they stop and eat and then they fan and then they gobble and then they stop and eat. Because in the turkey world, it's usually the females go to the males. So you're kind of messing with mother nature. You're asking the male to come to you. So it's pretty like my heart's like racing the entire time that that he's slowly coming over and finally he gets within range and I make a good shot and they do this like flop and it's and it's called like the turkey flop and then you know you've got them and then you've got to tag them at a tagging station and there's so much meat in like a mature turkey it's kind of like overwhelming like way more than I expected like they're big Bigger than what, obviously, we see at the Bigger grocery than store at Thanksgiving. Like, yeah. like four <laughs> times as big as a chicken. Like, they don't look that big from far away. And then you get up close, and they're like, I guess my biggest turkey was almost 21 pounds. That's a big turkey. And they taste delicious. <laughs> they're so good. I like to make turkey pot pie. And the legs are totally different because they're so athletic. They're running outside all the time. So their legs are pretty pretty small and pretty tough, but the breast meat is like amazing. It's so good. So it's very different than what you would buy. At yes, store. yeah. But you feel this like sense of accomplishment of like I literally brought home the bacon. Today. <laughs> nice. Like I did it all by myself. Do you keep the um the fan like the feathered yep. fan? Okay, I've got it in that room. If you want. and the beard the male turkeys have this thing called a beard and so all of us hunters will be like oh well how big was your turkey's beard you know like you compare you're like and and does that usually correlate with the weight of the turkey or the age of the turkey i think they don't know the length of the spurs i've been told correlates with the age so if you've got long spurs on their feet then it's older but i'm not sure you can really tell and then I always like to open up their crop. What's All crop? birds have a crop in their neck. So when they eat, it's like a spot where their food goes before it's digested. So you can open it up and like literally see like dandelion greens and sunflowers. Weird. And it's like not digested at all. So it's still well. kind of gross, but it's like, I think it's cool. <laughs> it's cool to see what their last meal was. Yeah. It's like, whoa, he was eating out of someone's bird feeder. Like, wow. <laughs> what's the What's the most interesting thing you found? Well... Grouse will eat gravel a lot to help them digest their food. So that's why they hang out on dirt roads a lot. Oh, that makes sense. I've seen them. They're the ones that kind of thump yeah, they, low to the ground, like, right? You're yeah, like, what you're was like, that? Was that a helicopter a that just started? Yeah. 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 The Appalachian Trail. Right. Like, Most people hear that in Georgia and North Carolina. And yeah. I remember hearing it. And I was like, yeah, who's starting a lawnmower out here? Yeah. <laughs> I was. It was like this deep rumble helicopter i definitely passed them this week on the hundred mile wilderness and they like fly and you give you a heart attack i feel like they're very close to the trail but then you never i never see them i saw one last week um and it had babies in it it flew towards us really quickly to scare us away from them i mean it didn't actually like touch us but it it definitely wanted to scare us and it did (laughs) it works and i've had a, a mama turkey fly like directly at me because I got between her babies and her um, on that AT in New Jersey. So don't get between a, a mama and her babies. Whatever. No matter species. what yeah. species. Yeah. Not totally. bear, not turkey. <laughs> yeah. So if most people start hunting turkey, is there a natural progression? 
like other birds or move on to deer what was your progression so i'm kind of like social so i really like duck hunting too because i can bring my dog I can go with people. You can talk. You don't have to worry about your scent again. You get to wear camo. (laughs) (laughs) And then you sit there with decoys and you do a duck call, which I'm not very good at, but I've been practicing. Where do you learn how to call? Uh, Like YouTube. YouTube? Yeah. Can you do a duck call? I'd have to go get my duck call. Oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) None of them I can do like with just my mouth, yeah. (laughs) So I really like duck hunting. I think... In Maine, a lot of people get into hunting from our moose hunt and bear hunting. In Maine, we have a lot of bear, really a lot of them. And moose hunting in Maine is very family hunt, which is pretty unique, I think, in this country because, you know, a lot of hunts are like intense. And, you know, if you go elk hunting out west, like you've got to hike a lot and camp out there. And Maine for moose, it's like if I got drawn, which I haven't gotten drawn yet. So it's a lottery? It's a lottery. Like you guys could come and we drive around. A lot of people just drive around on the roads. And when they see a moose, they get out and shoot it. So it's pretty user friendly. You know, you don't have to be in great shape. Like grandma can come. Your your five-year-old kid can come on the hike, you know. And because you get a lot of meat from a moose and because it's hard to get drawn in the lottery, you get a lot of families that literally put in everyone's name. They put their grandma, their grandpa, mom and dad, their kids are in there too. So if one of them gets drawn, it's like a family affair. We're all going on this moose hunt and we're going to drive around and we're going to call, do moose calls and see if we can call one in. And because you drive around for that and it's a group usually you don't have to worry about the scent kind of right stuff. You're, you're not trying to get that close is that because they're bigger you don't have to get so close it's mostly you're using a rifle most people they're not using a bow or a shotgun and they like to hang out in like logging cuts so you can see a long ways and moose don't have very good eyesight and they're in their mating season so they're acting kind of stupid too so you just don't you don't have to get as close what season is that fall that's in the fall yeah everything's pretty much in the fall except for turkey is in the spring and you you haven't gotten drawn travis my boyfriend he got drawn for a moose before i met him though did he get one yeah he got one did he eat it oh it's the best moose is my favorite what does it taste like? it's so good it's like deer but better so you didn't grow up with your family hunting or fishing what's it like to be in a relationship with somebody you can go can you go do this stuff with them or is some of that hunting is still independent do you go out separately well i work monday through friday i can pretty much only hunt on saturdays because there's no hunting on sundays in maine or i can you know go out before work but my boyfriend he works on saturdays so most of the time i'm still going out by myself but on the rare occasion we get to hunt together it's it's pretty fun we like duck hunting together but this year we did go turkey hunting together a few times and he was quite the gentleman because we were bow hunting for turkeys so they have to be much closer and you know if a turkey was coming over he would be like you can shoot it and then he was like why did i even wake up early and come if you're gonna shoot all the turkeys (laughs) (laughs) I know that as a female guide in Maine, you've gotten a little bit of attention. Tell me about some of the people that you've taken out as a guide. Like, how do people find you? It's mostly just word of mouth. Uh, Maine recently appointed the first female 
commissioner of the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, Judy Camuso. So that's a big deal for the state of Maine. And everyone's loving her. She's doing a great job. And I met her. There's a group, a task force, if you will, that is meeting and brainstorming ways to get more women involved in hunting and fishing in the outdoors. And I recently took her turkey hunting because she doesn't come from a hunting background. She never really hunted before. She comes from a birding background. So so she's trying to get into hunting and fishing. Yeah. That's cool. What does she oversee? All, all fishing, all, all hunting? All the game wardens, all the biologists. I think she does a lot with like policy and laws when it comes to managing the state's resources and wildlife. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's a very cool job. And for it to be Maine's first woman. Yeah, it's really exciting. You know, you're a woman, you're doing these things that aren't traditional. Like, what's been your motivation? Is there someone or something? Who have you gotten strength from? Maine's first registered guide ever was a woman, and her name was Fly Rod Crosby. That's her nickname, because she was a fly fishing guide in the Rangeley area. And she would go to trade shows in New York and Boston and really promote the state of Maine and get sportsmen, um, really start the outdoor tourism industry in Maine and like was promoting Maine and getting people to come to Maine. And she was friends with Annie Oakley, like, and she was just like this badass that like wore a skirt and then it would be out um, fly fishing like that's amazing I think back to some of those photos I've seen of people hiking or or you know fishing in the what was she 1800s yeah and the kinds of wool and the layers yeah (laughs) go out there in running shorts now and you know a tank top and a lot of deet (laughs) to wear what you know you still socially had to wear as a woman and try to do these outdoor activities would be a challenge I think I mean, Maine is known as vacation land. Maine is known as a place a lot of people come to in the summers and the winters. Do you think that promoting Maine as an outdoors place started with her? I think they attribute like the Rangeley fly fishing area, which is really pristine in Maine for native brook trout. They really, it started with her promoting it at these, at these trade show events. Yeah. That's very cool. And it's such a big part of Maine's economy. Yeah, it it really is, especially in these rural parts of Maine. You know, there's not big industry. There aren't big corporate jobs. So it's really the outdoors, the tourism, hunting and fishing that brings in a lot of the money for the towns. So she's like a cool inspiration to have. So I've heard of this main guide license is like the primo license to get and I'm a New York state guide and I, different states have different requirements what is a guide requirement in the state of Maine yeah I'd be interested to hear what New York does in Maine you can get your guide's license in hunting fishing or recreation there's a four-part test maybe three parts and it involves a multiple choice written exam that you have to pass, a map and compass exam that you have to pass, and then there's a verbal exam you have to pass where either other guides or game wardens ask you questions for an hour. And they're like pretty intimidating and pretty tough and they show you things and they say, can I use this? Is this legal? You know, they hand you a gun, and if you don't check that the chamber is empty, then you fail automatically. Wow. So it's an in-person exam. It's in-person, and they'll point up to the wall at pictures of fish, and they'll be like, name all the fish on the wall. And they're all the same size. 
So like it's like a bait fish is the same size as like a brook trout, which is a little tricky. And then they'll say, you know, what kind of tree is number seven up on the wall? It's photo number seven on the wall. So oh, it's, wow. it's pretty hard. Extensive. How did you study? Uh, do you study for that? Yeah. Is there a course? There are, there are. I took a four day course. Wow. wow. And then they'll ask you situational things. They'll be like, oh, you took us out hunting and, and we shot number six on the board. What are you going to say to us? You know, and you have to know what number six is and is it legal to hunt it? And then they'll be like, oh, but but even though that was illegal, like we're going to leave you a big tip if, you know, that's OK. Right. We can just kick it in the woods, you know. And oh, and then the fourth part is called catastrophic event. But it's part of the verbal. And they'll say, like, you're taking me out fly fishing and I fall down a cliff what are you gonna do and it's just like going through those motions and if you get it wrong you fail the whole thing safety protocols and what do they require in New York so in New York it's different categories of guide license so I'm certified in hiking and camping is that one hiking and camping it's two that's hiking and camping very similar requirements if you're an outdoors person and you practice leave no trace most of it is pretty common sense um but there are some specific requirements about if it's dec land versus other kind of land different parts of the state have different limits of how many people you can go out with where you can build a fire you can't build it above a certain elevation level if you're in the catskills if you're in the adirondacks but as a hiking and camping guide i don't need to know what the fishing rules are i know fishing guides so if I want to bring them into a trip, I could co-guide a trip with them. So it's a written multiple choice test. I mean, you have to be certified in CPR and first aid. I went the extra step and did wilderness first aid. You have to have a note from your doctor and you have to pay a fee. <laughs> so, you know, the map and compass and the topography is wrapped into the multiple choice, but there's no practical exam. So did you... How did you? Did you pass the first time? I passed the first time. Yeah. 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 I heard Maine and Alaska are like the two toughest. And I think the reason Maine, we have a lot of spots that you don't have cell service. And if you get in trouble, like they got to send the game wardens out to find you. And yeah, I don't know if New York's so much. Some parts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the mountains, you know, even some of the suburbs, they don't have good cell coverage. And it's going to be a long time for people. You know, the woods of the Adirondacks aren't quite as thick as the woods of Maine, but it's similar topography, lots of 4,000 foot peaks. And you should know, you should know what to do out there. But I think in a way that Maine is so much more remote, um, I can see why the guide exam would be a lot tougher and it would be interesting. Yeah, you should take it. To take it. I have to really study up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, knowing trees. That's like a, that's a lot. I know the recreation one, they make, they ask a lot about canoe, canoeing. Mm. They ask, Actually, they asked well, me. Well, so much water They asked in me Maine. about canoe paddle strokes, which stroke I would do if I was alone in a canoe, they asked. What me. was your answer? A J stroke. Good to know. I'll make note of that for a moment. Do it next time you're in a canoe. I'll show it to you. J stroke. You can't see out in podcasting. <laughs> I made a shape of a J with my arms. So you've become a bit of an authority of hunting and fishing and hiking in Maine. What is next for Christy Holmes Outdoors Woman? Oh, jeez, I don't know. I started trapping last year. I trapped two beavers, and I'm having a hat made, one of those bomber hats. Because there's, like, no money in fur trapping. 
like they're like oh you could probably get like five dollars and i'm like it's not really worth that's it that's what america started with isn't it yeah, yeah. trapping and yeah new york city so i'm pretty excited to get but trapping is so much work i don't know if i'll keep doing it but it, it's been interesting what's the difference between trapping and hunt like in terms of process well trapping it's pretty short season it's like the month of december and i had my apprentice license so my friend was teaching me how to do it and he showed me what bubbles to look for under the ice so this river had iced over and he's like see these bubbles see these old branch that's been chewed up that's where a beaver threw it out so i think a beaver is living up in this bank so we put a trap there and you have to check it every three days and in december the days are pretty short and i have to be at work by 8 a.m so i had to wake up drive to where my spot is hike in just as it's getting daylight check your traps you got to reset them if something set them off and then if there's something in them like a beaver you take it out of the water and then you have to skin it and then you have to flesh the hide which is cut off all the little details meat off of it and then you have to stretch it and then you have to send it off to a tannery so it's just like a lot of work for me i like the idea of knowing where my food came from and i think it would feel very interesting to take an animal's life and it kind of grosses me out to think about actually skinning it was that hard for you the first time or were you just like this is cool and i want to know it's definitely gross especially with beavers because they have this so they make perfume out of their caster so you like do not want to puncture that <laughs> and like i don't know so it's yeah i've definitely hunting is, is definitely gross oil? yeah it's from a beaver really yeah they have these like oil glands even the female ones you learned so yeah. much yeah i mean i feel like just talking to you i have such a deeper mm-hmm. understanding of how nature works yeah <laughs> it's it's crazy there's so much to learn you said hunting it's a little bit controversial some people really don't like hunting as humans us living in this world negatively impacts the environment even if you're a vegetarian like as long as you respect the animal it takes a tremendous amount of work and we took the habitat away by the house we live in so as long as you're using the meat to eat then what's the difference between you harvesting an animal and a coyote harvesting an animal it's better than video games and watching the bachelorette (laughs) i think it, it can teach you a lot of the value of suffering and can make you appreciate things keeps you humble and it takes a lot of time right it takes like, a lot of time a lot more time than just a like a picture on social media of a you and yeah, your turkey exactly like it took many hours to get it do you think there's some crossover between doing something like the long distance hiking do you think in a way that prepared you for setting out for a hunt or yeah i mean i think completing the appalachian trail Really, it what I took away from that was like, well, if I can do that, I can do anything. So, you know, I'm going to go hike around all day and scout for turkeys or chase my dog around and see if he points anything. And because that's what we did, you know, you were doing a little bit of skull work when I came in today. It looked really cool. You found it when you were out hunting? I was turkey hunting and I came across the skeleton and I was like, what is this? So obviously I took the, the skull <laughs> because 
that's who I am. And my boyfriend got all grossed out. He was like, throw that outside. But I sent a photo to my friend who's a wildlife biologist and she told me it was a raccoon. So I was glad to hear it wasn't a house cat or something. And then a taxidermist gave me a bear skull so I could practice my taxidermy skills on it. And I basically, I boiled it to get most of the meat off of it. And then I let both of the skulls soak in this like ammonia mixture for like three weeks. Then you take hair dye, like bleach hair dye mixture onto the skulls. And then you let them sit for a couple days and that whitened them. Mm. And so now I'm at the phase where I had to figure out which, because all the teeth kind of fall out when you boil it. So I had to match up all the teeth and then tomorrow I'll probably glue them all back together and then I'll have cool skulls to sit on my mantle. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Besides that skeleton, have you found anything else out in your travels? I found a deer antler once, which I was looking for at the time. It's called shed hunting because they shed their antlers, so they're called sheds. And this winter, I was like, I'm going to go shed hunting. And I found one and I was like so tickled (laughs) that I found the thing I was looking for. And then I turned it into like a jewelry holder that I can hang my bracelets on and stuff. But they also make good dog chews. (laughs) If you find like an old beat up one, you can let your dog just chew it. They like it. And there's like, I don't know, nutrients. It probably cleans their teeth chewing on something hard. When you were learning how to hunt, did you feel welcomed in this traditional male community or did you feel a little bit like an outsider. I definitely felt like a minority. And sometimes people would like assume that I didn't know anything about hunting, which they still do. And it can be frustrating. They don't mean anything negative by it. They just like assume that you don't know. You've never been. And that's because of just being a female. Yeah. Like recently I was in a retail store buying some hunting equipment and, you know, I've had comments made like, oh, is that for your boyfriend? It can be frustrating, but hopefully it will stop here in a couple of years when more women get into it and it's not such an anomaly. What's your response to that? Have you come up with a way to say no? You know, know, I'm not like super witty. I wish I was wittier and was like ready with with like a witty response but now I keep my main guide hat in my car and if I'm going into one of those places I wear it and then people are like oh okay she knows something like you're some kind of authority okay it's for you there aren't so many women in the forefront of hunting and fishing so how have you been received in the state of Maine I mean the commissioner is a woman and that seems like a great way to introduce other women to the world but Do you still feel like it's very heavily male-dominated? It's definitely very heavily male-dominated still, but I think with the commissioner being a female, there's more female role models out there. So I think that will make it easier for women to be like, oh, I can do that too. You know, I think people are more critical of you as a woman. Sometimes I feel like I have to prove myself to people. They just assume you don't know anything or you're just doing it for likes on Instagram. And that can be frustrating. They say things that if you were a man and you made a mistake and missed the duck, you know, no one would care. But because you're a woman... They hold you to a different standard because you're different, which can be frustrating, but that's just how it is, I guess. Especially if you're newer to it, obviously, anyone's going to miss. Right, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes as women, we're very critical of ourselves, or sometimes unintentionally, I think we're critical of other women. Have you found that in your group, or has it been a different experience? 
so far the group's been really like empowering and encouraging to each other which is wonderful sometimes as women we're like oh no you go ahead you know and you guys hunt i don't want to slow you down i don't want to hold you back you know whereas a guy would be like oh yeah i've never been hunting but i'll tag along so i think it's just building the confidence to be like we can get out there and do it and you know maybe you're not comfortable hunting with your husband and all his buddies who have been hunting for their whole lives like 40 years so finding a group of you know like-minded especially if they're women they're more understanding and more patient i think women are better learners they listen better to instruction (laughs) you know they don't have an ego so i think there's a lot of positives from like women building up other women and and in the hunting it's been really i've been blown away by how encouraging people are to each other that's awesome and that's really interesting what you said about patience women have to have a lot of patience in the daily world dealing with comments of all types whether it's you know oh is this for your boyfriend or cat calls whatever it is Mm -hmm. I think women have a lot of patience do you think that helps in your hunting and fishing yeah definitely it's hunting and fishing can be really frustrating you know you could you see a fish and you cast to it and it won't eat it and you're like oh but I think women more so than men in my experience they appreciate the sunrise and hearing the birds and finding the little insects that are hatching that might be good for fishing that day. And they'll still have a wonderful day outside. Whereas men, you know, if they don't catch a fish, they're going to be like angry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, it's been all day. I got nothing. Yeah. yeah. You'd still find a way to to bring positivity to the moment and appreciate it for what it is. Right. And I think women are a little better. They're happy to be out there with other women outside and we'll have a beer, you know, and they're just happy to be there. Do you think that because of that patience, is there a higher success rate for women? No, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I heard this fact hiking this week on the AT that when it's through hiker season and 75% of the people that start at Springer Mountain in Georgia are men, 25% of women. By the time they get to Maine, the completion rate is 50-50. I think, yeah, I think I have heard that women have a higher completion rate. And I think it goes back to the ego thing. Like most women aren't going to go hike it unless they prepared, they're like been training, like they've got their confidence up where it needs to be. And, And I feel like men are like, oh yeah, I'll go, maybe I'll go hike the AT this summer. You know, they're a little overly confident maybe and that's just my take on why women are more yeah I think somebody said you know going into a job interview unless a woman is 98% qualified she might not even apply for the job where a man might be 50% qualified for the job but he'll go ahead and apply for the job and so that preparation or that level of you know feeling like you already need to know how to do it before you get out there I don't know why we're like that but But that's very cool that women have a good success rate with hunting or they find success in just being out there and being with friends. So what is the thing you like most about being outside hunting and fishing? I mean, I like watching the sunrise and I like learning about things. I love guiding women and whether they're successful or they missed, you know, it's like the most exciting thing and they get this like newborn confidence that like wow it all came together like I did it it helps build my confidence you know you put in all this work and then to go out in the woods by yourself 
and you're responsible for however the day goes and to go out in this world where, you know, you get to be whatever you want and then you can harvest an animal and feed your family dinner that night. Like, I guess it's different than how you're raised as like, or how I was raised as a little girl to, you know, be polite and play nice. And, and so it, it builds a lot of confidence and you get to be a little wild, <laughs> brings out your wild side. I love that. So if someone wants to come to Maine or lives in Maine and they want a female guide, how do they get in touch with you or how do they get in touch with your group? You can search on Facebook for Maine Women Hunters. And even if you're not from Maine, we'll still let you in the group. Or I'm on Instagram, Christy Holmes, spelled like Christmas, but just <laughs> the Christ with I. Or they can email me, christyholmes87 at gmail.com. Awesome. As someone coming from outside of Maine, if I wanted to do fishing or hunting, um, what kind of licensing? So if you have taken a hunter safety course in your state, they're reciprocal in other states, and I can help you get your license. If you've never been hunting and never taken hunter safety, they have an apprenticeship program. So if you're like, maybe I'm interested in hunting, but I don't want to sit a whole weekend taking my hunter safety, we can sign you up for an apprenticeship license. And that basically means you can only hunt with someone who's had a license for a few years, which is a great way to learn about it, try it out without like the full commitment. And then fishing's pretty easy. You can get a just out of state license. And then Maine also has a couple weekends a year that are free fishing, no no license required even for out of state people. Do you have to sign up somewhere for that? You can buy your license right online and then print it off or screenshot it on your phone. That sounds like a lot of fun. Can't wait to come back. So to the women out there who want to try new things, what kind of advice would you have? I would say like just go do it and try to keep your expectations realistic because, you know, what you see on social media, there's a lot of work that goes into it and it looks really easy. Like, oh, this person just went out and shot a huge buck. It's like, well, it's not going to be that easy probably for most people. And then try not to pay attention to the naysayers. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, hosting us, talking to me. Of course. Thanks for having me on my first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad we all get to hang out. Oh, you know, yeah, the, it's it's just, it's nice. the trail brought us all to meet in a very random way. And then <laughs> we're all here. What town are we in? Wyndham. The lovely town of Wyndham, Maine, just north of Portland. We've had delicious seafood. We've had Maine outdoor woods this week. And we learned a bit more about hunting and fishing. Yes. The main way of life. Thanks to everyone for hanging out and listening to some trail talk on Girl Gotta Hike the Podcast. I love any excuse to get myself up to Maine. The lakes, the woods, and the coast can't be beat. The Portland foodie scene is downright delicious. The beer is unique. The people are kind. But hanging out with Christy Holmes has topped all the charts. Major thanks to her for hosting me after my week in the woods and for taking time to talk to me about her outdoor life. I'm so impressed and inspired by all that she does to fuel her passions and how she encourages other women around her to follow their dreams too. If you want to be inspired on the daily, go ahead and follow her on Instagram. She's at Christy Holmes or join the Maine Women Hunters group on Facebook or check out her recent article and my photos about duck hunting on modernhuntsman.com. Links to all are in the show notes. Special thanks also to my good friend Eric Sanderson of Augustine's fame, whose lovely music is accompanying this podcast. 
You can find out more about his album, Audio Journals Volume 1, at sanderson.audio, or on Instagram, at heisericsanderson, and at harbor underscore studios. Girl Got a Hike connects women with nature, confidence, and camaraderie through guided hikes and backpacking trips from New York City to the Catskills and beyond. To learn more about Girl Got a Hike, including my hiking and event schedules, blog posts, and more, visit girlgotahike.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Girl Got a Hike or at Melissa Clicks or on the Girl Got a Hike Facebook page. Until next time, happy hiking! I feel like I'm at the radio. Yeah. I like work Have you ever been on a radio now. station? <laughs> but this is what, how I picture yeah. it. We sound like we're already on the radio.